Welcome to Diary of a New Grad Speechy, your go-to podcast for uni students or speechies who know a little about a lot, giving you handy tips and tricks to survive in the real world, the stuff that no one prepares you for. Hello and welcome to episode nine of Diary of a New Grad Speechy with your hosts, early career speech pathologists Ash and Cass. Today on the podcast, we have a super exciting guest. We chat to speech pathologist and private practice director, Julia. In this chat, we are going to be asking it all from how to prepare your CV and nail your interview to balancing work and life as a new grad. Julia provides some insightful tips for new grads entering the workforce. This is one you definitely don't want to miss. Here's Julia. Hello. Hi, how are you? I'm well. How are you guys? They're good. And we just want to say thanks so much for joining us today and having a chat. We know that um, our listeners are just going to be so grateful to hear what you have to say all about interviews and that transition into the new grad role. So thank you once again. We really appreciate it. Before we get into the questions, we always ask our guests, what is your craziest client story? Oh, do you know, it's interesting that you asked me, um, you guys asked that question because I really struggled to come up with. So I even went as far as asking my husband, honey, what's the craziest story <laughs> that you've told that I've told you about clients? Um, look, there's, there's so many little ones. I think, you know, there's the ones where you have the toddler who digs deep into their nostrils and finds the biggest boogie and gives it to you as though it's a gift. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I think a speech is that farts and poos are kind of come with the territory with paediatrics isn't it oh yeah and you get so good at you know just slowly just turning your shoulder or you know like pinching your nose yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) so we want to know a bit about you and how you have got to where you are so talk us through your studies and what work experiences you have had so far Okay, gosh, uni was uh, so tough. So I've been a speechy for 17, 18 years. Um, I went straight from school to uni and I thought it would be so much easier. I don't know what I was thinking. And I think one of your other episodes, you kind of talked about how you looked upon your arts peers with envy because it really is a tough course. So I found uni really hard. I think in first year I failed a couple of subjects and had to redo, I think, linguistics. So uh, I went to University of Sydney and at the time, I think it still is, I think they're planning on moving to Camperdown, but it was a Lidcombe mm-hmm. and it still is at Lidcombe. And I was living in the Blue Mountains at the time. So I was travelling 90 minutes one way to get to uni each day with grand yeah. plans of doing study on the train and always falling asleep on the way there <laughs> and back every day. That's commitment. Uh, oh, it was tough. I did it for a year and a half and then I ended up moving out into nurses' quarters in Westmead, which made it much easier. But that came with its own challenges of having to work as well as study and managing life at home. So I found uni really hard. When I, when I left uni, I got a, a job at Royal Institute for Deaf and Blind Children, RIDBC. And I, I wasn't actually employed as a speech pathologist. I was employed as like a hearing support specialist. So I'd done, an, I'd done one of my placements at the Sydney Cochlear Implant Centre. So I had some experience with um, working with children with hearing loss. So they kind of took me on at RIDBC as a teacher slash speech pathology role in therapy, um, having had that clinical experience. And I was there for 18 months and, you know, it was a lovely experience, but it wasn't a speech pathology role. So it was very different to your your run of the mill one-on-one therapy role in in speech. Um, 
And then I went overseas for six months. Met my now husband like a month before I went overseas, which was not a good plan. Yeah. I know. <laughs> so ended up com- he ended up coming over and bringing me back, asking me to come back. And we ca- I came back and I then went straight into private practice. And I was there for about five years working for someone else and as a, independent, as a contractor, not as an employee. And then had my first baby and went on maternity leave for about, six, seven months, and then went into a role um, for National Acoustic Laboratories. It was a research role. So I was as a speech pathologist research assistant on a massive team, big research project. And I kind of wanted to dabble in research to see if it was for me. And 10 months later, I realized it really was not. I think you either are a researcher or you're not. And I'm definitely not. Absolutely. I can agree with you there. <laughs> yeah. I think yeah. I just had this vision that I would, you know, that, cause I quite like admin. I'm quite an organized, efficient sort of person. I thought, oh, you know, I could, I can manage writing and doing jobs and you know putting in things just and it's so different so different to what you think and you don't often see the the fruits of your labor you know unlike in speech pathology where you establish relationships and you can really harness the goals in any way you want and and kind of all what's needed as opposed to just kind of taking data and not not being able to help so then i i uh, went back into private practice but this time closer to home Um, to where I was living and worked there for I think three years and then and I still can't believe I did this when my second was 10 weeks old I bought the business that I now own from my then boss wow yeah leap of faith obviously um benefited you in the long run (laughs) so yeah so I bought the business about eight years ago Mm-hmm. And it was just one full-time speechy then who basically took over my full-time role. Um, she's still with me. Wow. She, she came from Adelaide and it's now six speechies. So, yeah, it's been, oh, gosh, it's been a ride. But, yeah, it's been really rewarding and learnt so much. So it's been great. Yeah, I bet. It sounds like you've had some amazing experience as well. Yeah, yeah. Look, I've learnt a lot. <laughs> it's not, you know, I've always wanted to, ha- I always wanted to have my own practice, but I think there was a lot about it that I didn't realise was going to be as hard as it was. And I think you'll yeah. speak to any business owner and they'll tell you the same thing, that it looks easier than it is. Yeah, definitely. So what made you want to buy the business? Um, oh, I think in terms of buying the business, it was more like I'd always wanted, since working in private practice after coming back from overseas, I looked upon my then leader with such admiration in how she how she did things and how decisive she was and the kind of changes that could be implemented quickly mm-hmm. and and then having and then going into a, a government position in research and watching the bureaucracy and the you know you have to have a meeting in order to solve a meeting and then to have to you know have five pieces of paper signed before you can actually action anything so i always knew i wanted my own practice so i knew that after luca was a bit older i would probably start my own thing and it just kind of it just made sense that you know i had this caseload i had all these systems in place that that i was going to purchase and then make it better the opportunity was there so you just took it and look where you are now i know took the bull by the horns as they say yeah Yeah. awesome good on you so tell us a little bit more about the practice so are you still doing some clinical work how your day looks as the director and sort Mm -hmm. of how you manage the staff as well okay so um my situation is very unusual in that we have a multidisciplinary practice. However, it, it's actually two practices. So Kidspot's aligned with Active OT for Kids. And so it's two practices, but we share one space. We have two teams, two leaders, 
but very shared values and ideas about how we want to do things. And it just, on paper, you would go, how could this work? But it just works. We have, so six speeches. I have six speeches and one admin. I work two clinical days and then the rest of the week, the other three days are supporting staff, running the business day-to-day stuff, financial stuff, admin stuff, marketing stuff, a lot of clinical supervision and supporting staff and, and all of that. Um, the OT side, they have seven OTs and two admins. So there's 16 of us in total within the space, but not often not at the same time. We we're a really play-based clinic, you know, on Monday, Tuesday is my clinical day. So I'll, I'll try not to, to do too much businessy stuff on those days. I'll try and really focus my attention to the families that I'm wanting to see or need that I'm seeing, um, and kind of devoting my brain to clinical work because it does take energy, but obviously then things happen like the internet fails and you've got to work out how to get it back on because there's people relying on you or the machine stops working (laughs) and you've got to call them and yeah. And that's literally happened to us this week too. And yeah, you're always calling your director at all hours of the morning. Like, can you come and fix this? It's just things you don't realize. So I want to ask you um, as a director, do you get a chance to hire new grads? Yes. We have hired a number of new grads. So yeah, they're, very very uh, yeah. driven and enthusiastic and it's great it's, yeah, yeah it's good so talk us through the first thing you look for in a resume or when a new grad applies first thing I always look for hands down that they address me personally so if you've gone to who it may concern it yeah. shows a lot about whether or not you really want the job in my opinion whether or not you really want the job because if you know who the director is or who the team are You know, some people have gone as far as addressing the whole team, which I think is really lovely too, because what that shows is, you know, that you want to be a part of the team. And and for me, and I can only speak for myself, at our practice, we are a team and we are a family. We're very close. So address me or address the team, but not just the team individually to show that you've looked at the website, to show that you know who's there. So that's the first thing that I look for. That's a good tip. I look for, I do look for what they've done, what new grads have done um, either as their paid job when they were at uni or what they've done volunteering wise. So if I've got five applicants and two of them have done nannying or after school, before school care, where children are involved and they're applying for a paediatric job, that's going to look more favourable in my eyes. If you've got equal candidates and two have got experience with children, it's going to look more favourable in my eyes. It's not to say that I won't interview the other three. It's just something that I go, oh, yeah, obviously they like children because they, they want to spend their, their spare time with children. And that's really important when you're going into paediatrics. You've got to like the kid. Otherwise yeah, you do. Otherwise, you the job. <laughs> so I do look for what, you know, and their interests, like what they like to do. Um, something that's visually interesting to look at, like a CV that looks a little different or has a photo. Photos aren't essential, but it, they help because sometimes we get like 20 applications. You know, you want to be thinking about how you can differentiate yourself on the table if all the applications were to be printed out and laid out on a table. What's going to stand out to make you appeal? They're really good tips. And just off that to continue um, talking about CVs, a lot of our listeners have been dying to hear the answer to these questions um, because we know at uni there was also, you know, they always talk about interviews but never really go into it. So do you have any tips for new grads or students? You also, you've just mentioned some for building your CV. But how about nailing that interview process? So anything they should prepare for? or So the big thing for me, and it kind of carries on 
from my previous comment is you need to demonstrate that you're genuinely interested in the role and that you're not just applying for everything because that's very obvious in between applicants. Mm -hmm. So research the job, research the website, make sure you look at the website. If the clinic that you're applying for or the place of work that you're applying for doesn't have a website, try socials, try LinkedIn, research the director, research the person who's interviewing you, research the hospital, show genuine interest that this is a place that you want to be. Um, I always appreciate when applicants call, even if it's just to leave a voicemail to say, hey, just wanted to introduce myself. My name's Susie. I've applied for the job that you've got advertised. I know you're super busy, but just wanted to give you a voice to a name, you know, and say, I'm really keen. I look forward to hearing from you and I hope you got my application. That's a really nice way of differentiating yourself. I guess the other thing for me and for our team, we're very values driven. So we're looking for applicants. And I think most businesses, if we're talking about private practice, most businesses, you know, they're, they're very clear about their values and what they're looking for in a graduate or in an applicant and whether the applicant's going to meet the values. And every business is going to be different. Like for us, our values are, you know, being playful with connection, being organised and efficient. Certainly the website reflects that we're playful. You know, we're not serious and stern and kind of really professional and efficient, like professional looking. We're a bit more playful. So I think making sure that your values are aligned with the values of the, of the position you're going for. Because if you turn up and you're looking for a role that is a bit more serious and a bit more, you know, tabletop and a bit more sort of adulty or school age or high school agey, it's going to come off like that. And I think that just goes back to researching the position and researching the place of work that you're applying for. Even just doing a little video clip of yourself or a voice memo and just sending and going, hey, just wanted to introduce myself. And look, this may not be appropriate for all roles. Myself, I would really appreciate that. I think that shows real initiative. It also shows that you're able to manage technology, upload a video, send it as a link like that. They're all sort of soft skills that we value as directors. Know your strengths and know your weaknesses. And mm. if they ask for your strengths, like be very clear. These are my three strengths. Always have them up your sleeve. These are my three strengths and this is how it's going to benefit you and your business and your team and your clients. You will inadvertently probably get what are your weaknesses. And for me, it always surprises me that people are baffled that we ask this, but actually it's really important because I'm looking for, okay, do you have self-awareness? Do you have self-reflection ability to know what you're not so great at or what you're finding challenging? And then can you turn that around and demonstrate that you're A, you're aware of it and B, you know how you could turn it into a positive. So, you know, reports take me a really long time to write, but it's something that I've worked on really, really hard in the last year and I've certainly noticed that it's getting easier. So my hope is that with some support, that will only improve. Yeah, yeah that's a good example. I always found it hard when I was applying, thinking of weaknesses as such. I looked at it from a point of view as an area to improve. Totally. Like what can I improve on? And yeah, they're really good examples because sometimes you can get stumped in the interview and it just mm. is so hard to move on. Do yeah. you look at um, GPAs at all in your process? Myself, I don't. I'll be honest, I don't. And I, it's interesting that you say that because, or that you asked that, because I noticed in the last couple of episodes you mentioned that, that people don't. Um, I do know some practices that do. For me, it's about values. For me, it's like, you know what, new graduates know a little about a lot. And the reality is, is that as leaders and as a team, our job is to help you hone those skills to start to know a lot about a lot or 
medium about it a lot. And the, for me, it's the values that I can't necessarily teach because they're innate. They're skills that you've grown up with or ideas that you have based on your history and your life and the friendships that you have, the family that you have. And that's important when you have a team. I want a team that's aligned with the same values. So I look for values. It's so hard because at uni, it was such a big thing. Everyone would talk about your GPAs and, you know, every job looks at your GPA and I personally got so stressed. So it is nice just to know it's, I guess, a case by case. Some practices do. I definitely know like, you know, the the new graduate positions at the hospital do or um, DOE and that type of thing. But yeah, it's nice to know some private practices don't but then, you know, of others that do. So Yeah, and I think the thing to keep in mind, I guess, is that as speech pathologists and communication specialists, we have an innate superpower in our EQ, I think. You know, our EQ is much more heightened than the average human. And that needs, that. that's a hard skill to teach, particularly with children, like in, in paediatrics. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Has there been anything, I know you touched on a little bit about you know giving a voicemail or calling or that type of thing but is there anything that you've come across personally if you can share that's really stood out to you um the energy that you portray in an interview or when meeting someone for the first time that that you genuinely give a shit yeah you know that you want to be there and you And look, I know that's really hard. I can completely appreciate that, you know, when you've started out, you just want a job and you want as much experience as possible. But I do want to also say to all the new graduates out there, there are a lot of jobs. There are, like when I graduated, it was literally you get whatever jobs you can get because there wasn't that many jobs. There are a lot of jobs and it may take a little while, but it's important to find the right place because that's more important than just finding a job. Um, In terms of, so for me, what stands out is that research piece that, you know, you've spent the time and the energy to get to know the business, to get to know the practice, to get to know what we're about and what we stand for. You've decided that it's aligned with what you want for your practice and for your own profession and that you demonstrate that. Willingness to learn is also a really key. So what have you done in your, what have you read recently that you can throw in as a, as a tidbit in the interview. So like we're a very DIR floor time play-based kind of a clinic, you know, so have you read an article recently that you can mention in the interview say, Oh, you know, I noticed that you, you know, use a lot of DIR floor time approaches. Um, I recently read a chapter in this book and it said, blah, blah, blah. I find that really interesting. And I guess in terms of what stands out as a negative is when, when people come in cocky and look, it's hard because you're so nervous, you know, I want you guys all to know that as someone who's interviewing, it's really hard watching everyone get so nervous and really feel for you. So try not to be nervous. Try to just be yourself. I know in my most recent interview, because I really wanted it so, so, so bad. (laughs) And I did a good job, obviously. I got the job, but I worked (laughs) myself up so much that I felt sick for probably like three hours after. Like I was... and I um, my family wanted to take me out for lunch because you know they were really excited and that and I couldn't eat because I just felt so sick and I had to go back home and lay down wow (laughs) 
You've really sent your nervous system into a tiz, hey? <laughs> I did, yeah. Wow. I mean, okay, I have a question for you as someone yeah. on the other side who's recently interviewed because I haven't interviewed in, in a long time. So what can we as business owners do to harness and support potential candidates to feel more at ease during this process? I had to do a, like, it was like a three-step process for mine that I did at the end of last year as well. And I had to do a phone call mm-hmm. first. And then, so I got to know like my boss, I had to do a video. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know how you mentioned some are optional, but yeah, ours was mandatory. I had to do like a personality quiz and then another, like the actual face-to-face interview. So I think I know a lot of steps can be like overwhelming for some people, but it like gets you used to talking Mm-hmm. to the boss and sort of gets you familiar with like how they sound what questions they ask so I found that quite nice in hindsight yeah yeah I like I've started doing the videos too but again yeah it creates a lot of nervousness I hope that you know I guess socials is a nice way of I guess illustrating the kind of practice that you are so I would hope that if people look at that they would kind of get the sense that hey these guys are friendly and that's but, exactly how I think too <laughs> yeah I think even having a step before the interview, you know, like as um, Cassie said, she had to do two steps, but even having like a phone little catch up or something before Mm. the actual interview, just um, so they could settle the nerves. Because I didn't have that. And I just spoke to, you know, the director and the senior straight away in the interview. And I think that's why I got so worked up. Because yeah, it was stressful. I've never spoken to them before. And then I had to, you know, Go into the interview. So, as a manager and as a leader, that just breaks my heart. If I ever thought that I'd made someone physically ill for three hours after an interview, I would just be mortified. To be brave enough to say that you that this is so nerve wracking for you that you feel sick for me, I'd be like, wow, you know, you're you're willing to be so vulnerable with me. So that means that we're going to be able to have really open and honest conversations in the future, and that is really powerful because you can achieve so much when you can be honest and powerful. You know, yeah. honest and vulnerable. Yeah. Well, that's nice that you say that for anyone listening to this episode, just, you know, if they are feeling a bit nervous, it's, and it it does show your personality. If you're like, oh, you know, I'm a bit nervous here. Totally. I know myself that I've been in an interview before and have been asked a question that I was totally not prepared for. Do you have any tips for how we can nail that unfamiliar question? Okay. This is a really hard one and it happened. It does happen. Um, Don't be afraid to ask for more time. So just say, oh, you know, that's a really unusual one or I've never heard that one before. Do you mind if I take a moment to have a think? I would also encourage you to ask um, for the question to be rephrased in a different way or rephrase it yourself to seek clarification as to whether or not you've understood it correctly. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. um, there's nothing worse than um, an applicant answering a question and then you having to interrupt them and go, no, 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 I, you misunderstood the question. And not only is that hard for us as interviewees, but it also disrupts the flow for you and often can make you feel more nervous you're like oh my god I did the wrong thing like I misunderstood and you kind of lose your flow and you can also ask to come back to it and go do you mind if we come back to this question it's a tricky one for me or or not even being that honest and saying can we come back to this question Mm -hmm. but the biggest advice I give you is don't rush because Mm -hmm. the more you rush the more you're likely to babble and when you babble, it, it often you just go around in circles and you don't make any sense. So don't be afraid to go slow. What that also shows us is that under pressure, you can pause and you're going to be under pressure with families in clinic too. So that you are able to kind of put a, a line in the sand and kind of go, okay, this is hard. I need a moment. 
to just contain myself and then go rather than just fumbling forward on mass and answer, trying to answer if, if you're not really sure. Mm. That's really yeah. good advice. Really good advice. Yeah. Cause you do feel like you just need to have the answer straight away. Yeah. And that's something that I've learned working when a parent asks me a question, I've learned that I don't need to have the answer straight away. And if I really can't think of something I can say to them, Oh, you know, you know what other, other speeches in the practice are um, really experienced in that. I will ask them and I'll get back to you. Yeah. So say a new grad has now got the, got the role. Do you have any tips to help them, you know, transition into the workforce and, you know, starting to learn everything really? Yeah. So I think I'd probably just, again, go, go easy on yourself. It's going to be a, a difficult transition. And I think knowing that it is going to be a difficult transition can sometimes be helpful and other times it can be a bit daunting, but typically you'll go into the whole experience really excited and really energized and then there'll be a point usually it happens at about week three week four sometimes week five point where your brain will explode mm. and you'll, you'll feel like you're picking pieces up of it off the walls you know as you go um, because you'll just there'll be so much information going in and you'll feel overwhelmed and that's very very normal mm-hmm. and it's going to pass and it will get easier I would suggest if you have questions writing them down in a questions book and then bringing those questions to your mentor to a senior at designated times whilst asking questions is great you do sometimes get into a bit of a loop where you frazzle yourself out even more because there's so many of those questions Mm. and you're trying to process all the answers at various times of the day as you think of the questions but not actually allowing yourself to process what the question is and what the possible answer could be. So like ask for help. No questions are a dumb question. Um, you know, depending on the, the clinic that you work for, some have a really structured induction program where you go through a systematic process of induction so that some of those administrative processes that um, that you're having, that you'll, that you'll be learning will be laid out for you in a, in a really structured way. For some people that works really nicely. For other people, they like to just learn as they go by doing. Um, So I would suggest time blocking in your calendar. So really allocating set times to do certain tasks, whether they're admin tasks or preparing for clients or writing a report or doing a phone call, like actually block them out in your calendar. Um, I would suggest journaling as well. So get it out of your head and onto the paper. It's interesting. I was talking to one of my new grads today and, she was saying that, you know, she'll often go to bed and lie there awake, psychoanalyzing what, a, you know, what a parent has said and then trying to work out all the different things that that particular person or mum might have meant when she said X, Y, Z. And that can be really hard because you can't control what other people think or what they're going to say. So sometimes getting it out on paper can really help get it out of your head. Yeah. Um, and if you're sitting there lying awake thinking about it, I know myself, I just immediately think to the worst case scenario. Mm-hmm. and they probably didn't even mean that at all most likely sometimes, sometimes the act of writing it down can can kind of make it even more stupid like you kind of when you're thinking it you know it's stupid but actually writing down i think this meant this you look at it on the paper and you're like what that couldn't like no that's not what it meant at all that just <laughs> looked way not right yeah that's yeah. so true it definitely is as you said like a cycle you know, you feel really good, but then I think it's when, you know, the third weekend and you see your first clients and then you're like, oh my goodness, this is actually a job. 
Mm-hmm. So, yeah, no, I think you had really nice tips and definitely the scheduling so you can get into a process is yeah. really good. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think too, like becoming comfortable with your workplace. Like I know it's hard as a new grad because you're working with like a huge team. You're, you feel like you're at the bottom and everyone's friends. <laughs> They've all been there for so long and finding that confidence in yourself as well to ask those questions or put it in your calendar without feeling like it's silly or stupid is, yeah, yeah it's a big learning curve as well. So as a director, what do you expect a new grad position or a caseload to look like in terms of hours, how many clients, complexity, things like that? Yeah. So typically a new grad position will be a full-time position. I have had some new grads who start out part-time, like if they're mature age new grads and they have a family and they'd rather work part-time initially. So typically, let's say it was 40-hour week. Um, I always work with applicants and candidates about you know once they've got the job talk to them about what their what their goals are what they're wanting to achieve what their ideal like if they could have whatever they wanted what would their ideal week look like would they rather start early finish early start late finish late would they prefer a nine to five would they prefer four long days with the three you know with three days off like we do try and workshop what's going to work for an individual um, but not all workplaces can can kind of do that and by no means does that mean I can always guarantee those but I do like to kind of know what an ideal situation would look like for a speechy working with us in terms of complexity of kids for us initially we would try and allocate your run-of-the-mill kind of speech language kiddos that are not too complicated with perhaps a few sort of ASD kiddos in there with support from a senior speechy. And then um, once, because we are a literacy-based um, centre too, so clinic too, we do a lot of literacy therapy training as part of the role. So that takes time. So initially, candidate wouldn't get any literacy clients. That would come later. In terms of how many clients per day, that's a really hard one because when we talk about number of clients, it's hard because some clients are 30 minutes, some clients are 45, some 60. So, you know, you and I know that your preparation for a 30-minute client is pretty much the same as your preparation for a 45-minute client, but it looks very different in terms of your calendar. So we talk about it in terms of billable hours. So mm-hmm. how much, what percentage of your week is billed to pay for the service that we can offer to pay for the rent, to pay for the resources that we have. Um, So as a new graduate, I'd be looking at, you know, 40% billable hours and then moving towards 45 within the first six months and 50 by the end of the first year. And I think that's pretty run-of-the-mill standard. Some, you know, give or take a few percentages here or there. I think professional developments for me is really important because it not only benefits that individual but it benefits the team and it benefits um the practice do you have any standard pds that you encourage your new grads to get yeah um probably the big one would be the dir floor time for us like if that one's coming up it, we're like yeah let's all do it or whoever hasn't done it do it um hannon is another really great one that i would encourage mm-hmm. um especially because for a play-based pediatric clinic Definitely. um do you do the it takes two to talk or the more than words Either or. Yep. Both if appropriate. Mm-hmm. In terms of literacy, um, the Sounds Right program is lovely, is, is really great. I, uh, just, I just did that one actually. Yeah. It's awesome. It's yeah, it's a really good program. Yeah, I really like the Sounds Right because it's so, you know, you just follow the plan. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to think about it much. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a positive and a negative. I think, you know, if you haven't had a lot of literacy training and done a lot of courses it's awesome because it really sets you up Mm. i would definitely encourage you to do more or anything new if it's if it's around like 
great, great websites to follow on the Spellphabet yeah. blog and website. She's got amazing stuff. Anything by Spelled is fabulous. Yeah. I mean, usually Spa have wonderful speakers too. Julia Starling does a great job in, in what she presents about literacy and language. So, yeah. Thanks for those tips. So it's really tricky when, you know, you leave uni and you get into your first job and you're trying to coordinate, you know, doing extra learning and then learning the practice and as well as trying to have that work-life balance. So do you have any tips you can give to us and how you can achieve the work-life balance in an early career or how you can deal with the initial stress of being a new grad? Yeah. I think it's really, really important to carve out time for yourself mm. and that it's a regular habit, whether it's daily exercise. I think exercise is the other really good one. And I'm not a natural kind of go to exercise kind of person. Some of us are, but I'm always amazed at how much better I feel when I have exercise, made the effort to exercise. So carving out some time away from work and ideally away from your phone and away from any devices, because the temptation is always there to scroll mindlessly and you end up stumbling across something that reminds you of work because you you know you follow things on insta that that are speech related yeah um getting in amongst nature is also really powerful and there's a lot of research now coming out about the power of nature and what it does for our nervous systems and for our brains and meditating is also another great one which mm-hmm. can mm-hmm. and again it's about setting up good habits because Sometimes when you burn out, and I've got personal experience with this, if it gets to burnout stage, it's much harder to unravel than if you just do little bits often. So just every day, carve out some time for yourself. And even at work, go for a walk. Like if you're feeling stressed, just take 15 minutes and go for a walk around the block. Mm. The rhythm of a walk will help centralise everything. And I know that, I mean, look, the speechy community are a really close community and we're really supportive of one another. So I also said, you know, setting up some supports, with other speeches who are in the same boat and can kind of sympathise with what you're going through. Um, or perhaps someone who's a few years older and has done it, been there, done that to reassure you that it's all normal and you're going to get through this, it's going to be okay. Yeah. And have fun. Oh, yeah. the other thing, smile. <laughs> you know why? Because even a fake smile releases oxytocin, which makes you feel happier, even if you're not happy. Which is why working with kids is so amazing because kids smile all the time. So when they smile at you, they're giving you, they're sprinkling a little bit of oxytocin over you (laughs) Mm. and then you smile back. Yeah, and it makes you forget why you were even angry in the first place. (laughs) Even fake smile releases oxytocin, right? So just smile. Yeah. Very good tips and very easy to uptake if people are struggling to find that balance. So just get outside, get away from the computer. (laughs) Yep. So you mentioned before, Julia, something um, briefly about burnout and burnout is a topic that isn't spoken about a lot at uni. However, it's definitely out there and a real thing, particularly as a new grad. Do you have any tips or even, you know, tell us a little bit about your experience with burnout and anything that you would give to somebody to avoid burnout in our early careers? Look, I think my experience with burnout is probably the more extreme version of it. Like I, I had to have three months off because of burnout. I was, I just worked myself to the bone. And what I learned in that time was about the resilience of the, of the human mind, spirit and body, and also about the kindness and love of other people to help in times of need if you ask for it. And I think that that's the thing is that if you are feeling burnt out, tired, emotional, ask for help. That's the most important thing is just acknowledge that something's wrong and you're not coping and ask for help. It's okay to ask for help. And I think for certainly for me, which may help others, it was about going back and 
figuring out why it is that I'm doing what I'm doing. Mm. So why are you a speech pathologist? Why are you working with children? Why do you love what you do or don't love what you do? And being really clear about that why can really help you to determine whether what you're doing is what you really should be doing because life is so short. And if you're not enjoying what you're doing, then there's no point doing it. Yeah. I think in terms of avoiding burnout, all those other things that we spoke about earlier about the exercise and the journaling and the meditating and the going out and having fun and the smiling, all of that will help to alleviate burnout. But talk to your managers, talk to your leaders. That's what we're here for. And if you have a leader that doesn't listen to you if you're telling them you, that you're struggling, then maybe that leader's not the right leader for you. And that's okay because we're all different and some of us work on different gears and maybe the person that you are just doesn't suit the management style or the workplace. Yeah, that's really true. And I think in the role that we do, we give so much of ourselves and we often feel really bad, like I'm not allowed to be stressed or um, like how dare I even think of like taking a week off for myself because we are just naturally giving people and my boss said to me like when I was talking about feeling stressed she said I would rather you be happy because at the end of the day you're the person that needs to stay the clients are obviously extremely important but clients move on um, so I think that's also really nice to to remember as a professional as well your 100% yeah yeah 100% I think the other thing worth noting which which may or may not be helpful or appropriate for, for depending on who you are is that when we think about psychologists and trauma counselors or counselor they get peer reviews they have to go and see a psychologist or a counselor in order to offload all of the stuff in their bucket that they've accumulated from their clients and and whilst we're not counselors or psychologists a lot of the time we do we're dealing with grief we're dealing with trauma we're dealing with breaking news to families that is really hard and sometimes even seeing a psychologist and being able to give all that to someone else can be really helpful Mm -hmm. um someone who isn't your leader or your boss who you you may have already told but you kind of need more so yeah Yeah. they're all really good tips and sometimes it is hard when you are a new grad and you know if you're not in the right practice for you if they just keep giving you giving you giving you giving you and you're just and you just don't know any better and you just keep doing you need to really set those boundaries and know what you can do and what you can't do and when it enough is when it's too much yeah totally yeah well that's all the end of our questions thank you so much julia for talking with us today i hope it was helpful definitely some insight into the application process so much again we really appreciate it all right take care have a great weekend bye bye Wow, what a great episode that was. And we want to extend our thanks again to Julia for joining us today to talk about all things interviews. Stay tuned for next week as we have another exciting podcast coming. Thanks, guys. Bye. Thanks for listening to Diary of a New Grad Speechy with your hosts, Cass and Ash. If you like what we have to say, please give us a follow on Instagram at Diary of a New Grad Speechy. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and leave a review below. Thanks so much and see you all next week. Bye.